let's dive in here, shall we? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And when it says Word, it's speaking of Jesus. So in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, but he also was God. That's this dance of the Trinity. And um, I want to I talk this morning about the fullness of your divinity and the fullness of your humanity. I want to talk about the fullness of your divinity and the fullness of your humanity. We've got to start with Jesus. Because Jesus was fully God. And uh, Colossians 2.9 tells us that the fullness of God resided in him. So he was fully God. But of course, the word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. So John tells us this word, this Jesus, this divine expression of God took on flesh and reduced himself to a human body just like yours and mine. His, his human body functioned in just the way yours functions. He got tired. It says, one of my favorite verses in John 6, Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. I like it because I can relate to it. I know what it means to have to sit down at a well because you're tired from the journey. So he has this human body. And then, of course, so just so you know, I'm not making it up. Philippians says, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. But he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a human being, he humbled himself, even death on a cross. So he was God. All the attributes of the Father were in him. But when he came to the earth, he gave away some of those things. Basically, so he could know what it'd be like to be you and me. That's why he gave away some of those things. So, this point we're going to launch out from this morning, Jesus, the Word, is both fully God, but he's also both fully human. He won a robot version of human. He won a human who was also had everything that he had in heaven because he gave up all his privilege. He was fully human, but fully filled with a sense of God. And of course, there was no sin that get in the way of the expression of that God through his human body. That's the only difference. The only difference is that there's something in you that gets in the way of the fullness of God being expressed through you. Now, we find it difficult to grasp that somebody can be fully God and fully man. And the reason we, we find it difficult to grasp is because our minds are by default what we call dualistic. In other words, the either are. So our minds like it to be black or white. They like it to be uh, for or against, anti or pro. And you see that more and more these days, that there's this dualistic thought. It's like one or the other. And it can't be in the middle and it can't be anything else. You've got to be in this camp or that camp. But that's what your mind's like. The incredible thing about Jesus is that he was perhaps the first non-dual thinker ever. Because Jesus was never either or. Jesus was both and. Everywhere Jesus went, he wasn't like, well, it's this or this. He was like, well, actually, we can have both here. And they can sit together really easily. But our minds don't find that very easy. Jesus uh, didn't, you couldn't fit him into the camps of thinking that everybody else used. He didn't fit into the boxes created for the day. It's one of the reasons he attracted so much attention and so much opposition. He wasn't on anyone's side because he was on everybody's side. And everybody got upset because he wasn't on their side. But really, he's on everybody's side. 
Jesus, are you Brexit or Remain? I'm on everybody's side. Do you want, Jesus is a, like, it's not like one or the other, it's both. And, but our minds struggle so much to get around this. But you have to trust me if your mind can't get around it that he was both fully, fully human and fully divine. And the point of all this is to say this. If we are to be truly Christ conscious, we must embrace both our divinity and our humanity. We must embrace both our divinity and our humanity. You see, most of us think that we're human beings who are trying to be spiritual. But the reality of the Christian message is found in the journey of Jesus, who was fully divine and then took on human flesh. Which really, you have had the same journey. Because you didn't start in human flesh. You started in the heart of God. And then you took on human flesh. And that's where you are right now. And eventually you'll lose that human flesh and you'll go back to what you were before. That, which is really the journey of Jesus, isn't it? So you have taken on flesh and then you're going to lose that flesh and you're going to go and enjoy being with him again. But you have to understand it starts that way around. This is uh, Richard Ross says it better than me. The Christian revelation is that you are already spiritual in God and your difficult but necessary task is to learn how to be human. Jesus came to model the full integration for us. And in effect, told us that divinity looked just like him, while he looked ordinarily human to everybody else. I am not trying to be spiritual, I'm trying to be human. Because human is what Jesus was. Jesus was the full expression of what it means to be a human being. I am a spiritual being, as I'm going to point out to you. My job is learning how to be properly human. Because properly human is like Jesus. So let's talk about your divinity. Um, the word divine means to be of or like God. So that's what it means to be divine, to be of or like God. Well, you are both of God and like God. Because John 1.13 says you're born of God. And John 1, 20, Genesis 1.27 says you're created in the image of God. So if to be divine is to be of or like God, you are clearly divine. Well, to be more precise, part of you is divine. And this is where we get a lot of it wrong and get very mixed up. Because part of you is human and part of you is fully divine. And according to 1 Thessalonians 5.23, you're made up of three parts, okay? Body, soul, and spirit. And it's really vital. We're going to go back to this basic because, and then we're going to launch out from there. Because if you don't get this fully, you miss the whole truth of the gospel. And you miss the whole point of the gospel. So, you are body, soul, and spirit. So, you have a body. Some of you have as fine a specimen as mine. Most of you have a better one. I don't know why you all laughed. I think it's fabulous. Jesus gave me it, so you can blame him if you don't like it. So you have a body. You know what that is. You have a soul, which is like the mental and emotional side of you. It's like your mind, your will, your emotions. You could call it your personality. And of course, if I, if I pinch you, I touch your physical body, you feel that. But I can also, when I'm speaking to you right now, well... If you're switched on, I'm speaking to your spirit. And if you're not switched on, I'm speaking to your soul. But I'm probably speaking to both of them. Whether you're listening with both is a whole other ballgame. But actually, you're, I can speak to your soul because when I speak, I can touch your emotions and you can feel things positively and negatively. So, and sometimes your feelings outwork in your body. So there's this clear connection between your body and your soul. But your spirit's a bit different because... John 3.26 says, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. And there's no kind of clear connection between the two. So you've got a body, 
And then you've got your soul, mind, will, emotions, conscience, personality. And then you've got your spirit. Now, this is true of absolutely everybody on the face of the earth, okay? Everybody is made like this. If you have come to realize the reality of Jesus, that's what it means to really become a Christian, it means to realize the reality of Jesus, then something has happened to your spirit because the spirit of God now has come and it's living in your spirit. So your spirit is now absolutely alive with uh, God's spirit. But it says this in Colossians 2. For he, Jesus, is the complete fullness of deity living in human form. So fully God, fully man. And our own completeness is now found in him. We are completely filled with God as Christ's fullness overflows in us. Okay, that is the reality of you this very day. That's the truth. That you are completely filled with God as Christ's fullness overflows within us. And of course, then your mind kicks in and goes, well, I feel a bit rubbish today. How can I possibly feel a bit rubbish if that's true? How come this is happening? How come that's happening? How come so-and-so's here? How come that's there? Okay, this is why it's important to understand these places. Because your spirit, the fullness of Christ is there. The full, every, it is impossible for your spirit to get fuller than it already is. That's the reality. It's absolutely impossible for your spirit to be any fuller, which is why all this crying and begging and filmy filmy is a bit of a waste of time. Because you're already full. You don't take a full bottle and take it to the tap. You learn to drink from the bottle. And guess what? It's constantly filling. The reality is your spirit is absolutely full and overwhelming. The problem is that dotted line between your spirit and your soul and your body. That's the issue. He lives in your spirit and, and flesh is flesh and spirit is spirit. So there's this kind of, you don't get any sense of the fullness of God in your body or your soul until you allow that fullness to flow out of your spirit into your body and into your soul. But, but really, your mind is not naturally inclined to allow that to happen. Somehow, there's something about it that doesn't really like it. Your mind asks all sorts of questions and wants to understand and wants to know it. But yet, inside there's rivers of living water. That's how Jesus described it. Rivers of living water on the inside of you, bubbling up the whole time. But the issue, the issue is it flows from your spirit out into your soul, and then it can impact your body. But of course, the issue is your mind and your soul are not quite lined up to the reality of what's in your spirit. And so it gets dammed up. The truth is, we all have dams bigger than the Hoover Dam on the inside of us that stop the flow of the reality of his spirit on the inside of us. And the real journey of the Christian faith is to dismantle that dam so it can flow out of you. That's the reality. Every spiritual discipline is designed to help dismantle that dam so it can flow out of you. And it's why Paul in uh, Romans 12 too, says we've got to renew our minds, because this journey is a journey of becoming awake to the reality of the fullness of Jesus on the inside of you. Because your mind has all these thoughts that stop this flow of it. In fact, any thought that is the opposite of the truth in your spirit stops this flow. Now, if you want to know what your spirit's like, you've just got to read about Jesus. Because the fullness of Jesus is in there. But of course, we have all these thoughts that actually stop that flow. So, 
according to my spirit, my spirit knows he's absolutely accepted no matter what. He has no question about his acceptance. No matter what I've done, where I've been, what I've said, what I've not said, there's just no question about it. My spirit knows I'm accepted. But my mind has some questions because I've lived life. And I've felt rejected. And I've felt times when I didn't belong. And I've felt places where I couldn't go. And I, I felt like I was not accepted. But the truth, of course, is that I am accepted. Well, right there, that's that barrier between your spirit and your soul. That thinking, that's the barrier that stops it flowing out of you. And so what you have to do is you have to go, okay, the truth is that you are accepted, no matter what. There is acceptance on the inside of you, like, but you have to deal with the lie. And we've talked about that many, 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 many times. Uh, and if you don't know, then there's a whole section in my book about it. Buy it, it's 12 quid, do you good. Uh, it saved me a lot of time as well. But basically, you have to deal with that lie and break it down. But here's the thing. What you think flows out of you. So if you don't think you're accepted, the opposite flows out of you, and that actually flows out into your environment. You give off vibes of it. And often people pick up those vibes. But what's interesting is as you kill that lie, suddenly your mind's going, oh, yeah, actually it's true, I agree with it. Then it starts to flow out of you. And it flows into your body. And maybe your body starts to accept itself as well. And you, you start to accept who you are and the reality you are. But then it flows out of you. And then people feel that flowing out of you as well. So you walk in a room and people just somehow start telling you all sorts about themselves. Why? Because the acceptance of Jesus is flowing out. Because it's been unblocked. That's really what it means to be human. You see, the key, the key is that the same acceptance lives inside every person who has awakened to the reality of Jesus. If you are awake to the reality of Jesus in your life, you have as much acceptance on the inside of you as, as, as I do, or anybody else. You can't get more of it. It's already in you. The issue is, are you going to break down that barrier and allow it to flow out of you? That's the problem. That's what it means to learn to become human. Now, I want to go to Genesis 28, where Paul's been sharing from, to show you the same truth in a slightly different where? So that reminds you of the story. It's like a guy called Jacob. Jacob is not a good lad. Jacob has deceived his dad into getting the blessing. Um, and so he's feeling probably a bit bad about that. He's also on the run because his brother, who was meant to get the blessing, is threatened to kill him. So he's on the run. He's running away. He's trying to get out of this place. And um, he... Uh, the story starts by Jacob lying down in what we are told is a certain place. So it's not a particularly special place. It's just somewhere you can get a good night's kit. Really, there's nothing. Jacob's not like, oh, yeah, this is a holy place. I'm gonna, it's just like, no, it's got dark, and you can't travel in the Middle East in thousands of years ago. So he has to lie down, just somewhere normal. He goes to sleep, and then he has this incredible dream. And when he wakes up, he says these words, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So Jacob goes to sleep, and everything about the story suggests that he treats God as entirely absent. I don't think he has any thoughts about God at all. But then he has this dream and goes, oh, oh, actually, God's here. We are very much like Jacob. We often go around 
And because we're not aware of God being in this place, we live as though he's not present. But the truth is he's very present. So then we have this great time. Perhaps we, we, we come to a meeting like this or we do whatever. And we, have, we, we go, oh, wow, that's awesome. I just got turned up. Hmm. No, no, you turned up. God doesn't need to turn up. You just need to turn up to his presence. God's already there everywhere because he's inside of you. The issue is you turning up to him. So if you sense anything or aware of anything, all it means is you turned up. You became present to the reality that he was there. You see, we can say these words like Jacob because you are the house of God. Literally, your body and soul houses the absolute fullness of God. But you've got to learn to let it flow out of you everywhere else. So you can say, surely the Lord is in this place. And how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. You are a gate of heaven. You are a house of God. This building's not a house of God. It's only a house of God because there's lots of houses of God in here. That's why it's a house of God. It's just four walls and a roof and some lights and occasionally some heating. Like, it's like... Our issue is just like Jacob. We go, well, I wasn't aware of it. But the issue is not the fullness of God in Jesus. That's settled. It's in you. The issue is your awareness of the truth. And it's really important that we, we become increasingly aware because there is a grave consequence of being unaware. There's a consequence when you treat one who is present as absent. Because in truth, the fullness of God's there all the time, which means it's impossible for him to be absent. In it? Because he's in you. It's impossible for the fullness of God to be absent. But most of the time, we treat him as absent and talk about him being absent. Which is a little bit dangerous because... Let me show you from a story in, in Numbers. So Numbers, there's a story. And it's all about the people of Israel. And they've, they've gone on this massive journey. And God says, all right, this land, Canaan, it's yours. It's going to be beautiful. You can have it. And they're not right sure. So they send out some spies. And uh, 12 spies go out. They have a scout around. And 10 of them come back and basically say, yeah, yeah, it looks good. But there's these guys and these guys and these guys and these guys. And they're all bigger than us. And I don't think, I don't think it's going to be possible. Two guys come back, and the Bible tells us they're a man of a different spirit. And they go, yeah, let's go for it. Now, what's interesting about this story is you see the ten, they look with the mind. And they looked with the physical eyes. And they went, okay, yeah. But the two who came back, they went, they did use the mind. They didn't switch the minds off. They looked, but then they went, okay, but... But I can see God in here because he's with me. Then you, they realized God was present. And if God's present, well, anything's possible. But what's really interesting and a little bit scary is God's response to those ten spies who use their minds and their emotions. Because God, in verse, chapter 14 and verse 11, says this. The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with Contempt. Well, one way to define contempt is define it as treating somebody who is present as though they are absent. To treat somebody who is present as though they're absent. So to treat God with contempt, according to Numbers 14, is to treat him who is always present as absent. 
But more than that, the, the, the issue is this. You see, I realize at times I've treated God with contempt. Because I've treated him as absent when he's been really present. But because I couldn't feel him or sense him, I assumed he was absent. Because in my body and my soul, I couldn't sense him. I went, oh, he's, he's clearly not turned up. Okay, at that moment, I treat God with contempt because I treat him as absent, but really, he was present. Hey, Chase. But hey, if you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, which you are, if you are a gateway of heaven, if you are the house of God, if you are full of the fullness of God in Jesus, how is it possible that God could ever be absent? How is it possible that God could ever be absent? Now, a quick word here about absence versus action. Because often when we talk about God being absent, we mean he's not doing what we want him to do. But absence of action does not mean absence of presence. The absence of action does not mean God is absent. It simply means he's not doing what you want him to do. And there can be many reasons for that. And by the way, what sort of relationship is it if it's based on somebody else doing what you want them to do? You realize a lot, of our, a lot of our prayer life is spent getting God to do what we want him to do. If, if that was my marriage, it wouldn't last very long. If all my conversation in my marriage was about trying to get fair to do what I wanted to do, eventually she'd be like, do you not just don't want to enjoy being with me? Do you not want to listen? But a lot of the time we treat God a little bit like that. He's bothered about your presence. And when you find more and more his presence within you, you'll find that all sorts of stuff starts happening that you never knew about. But please don't equate action for presence. He is present whether you see the action you want it or not. But when we tr here's the thing. When you treat the one who is present as absence, not only do you treat him with contempt, but here's the grave consequence. He cannot do anything for you. Because in your mind, you've decided he's not there. In your mind, you've decided he's not there. That's why it's vital we come to realize the reality of his presence. His presence is never, listen, his presence is never insufficient for the need in your life. It's never insufficient. What we need more than anything is to become awakened to the reality that the fullness of Jesus lives in us and that we can say, surely the Lord is in this place. How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So when I'm singing, I love your presence, I'm not thinking about some external fluttery feeling. I'm going, I love your presence. And we've got to fall in love with his presence again on the inside of us. Not the feelings, not the sense of it. Even when you feel flat and dead and you want to run for some caffeine, no, I love your presence, Lord. I love your presence. I love being present with you. How is it possible to think that God is absent? Well, it's very easy. You allow your mind and your body to stop up the flow of the divine. You use your feelings and your mind as a source of all your information. And because you can't feel him and because the outside doesn't look like you want it to look, you go, well, he's absent. And then because you've decided he's absent, he's absent. But really, he's present. He's present. Our own completeness is now found in him. We, we, all of us are completely filled with God as Christ's fullness overflows within us. So if you were in a room, the fullness of Jesus is in the room. 
If you were in a situation, the fullness of Jesus is in that situation. If you're with a friend, the fullness of Jesus is with that friend. It's already there. Your difficult but necessary task is to allow, is to become fully human and allow that to flow out into you. But the way you stop that is by going, well, I can't feel him. And I don't think he's here. And this doesn't look like the kingdom. And this shouldn't be happening because I've done this. And this shouldn't be happening because of that. And, okay, probably all true. But it's not going to help. No. He's with you. His presence is there. He's in you. Surely the Lord is in this place. How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house God, this is the gate of heaven. Oh. You see, right now, right now, your spirit is getting so excited because I'm speaking truth to it. But your mind wants to shut it down. And this is what we mean. When Paul says things like, put your mind to one side, this is what we mean. Because your mind, if you're not careful, your mind is going to get in the way. And I'm not asking you to stop thinking, but it's just, you've got to, you've got to, it's not that you put your mind out of the way, it's that you, you, you renew your mind to come in line with the truth of the Spirit. That's the reality. All right, musicians, do you want to come? I want to, I want to sing that song, I Love Your Presence, again. I've been just, I've, I've had it on repeat uh, all week, really. Um, I want you to, as you sing it, there's, there's a bridge in it that we didn't sing earlier on. And uh, it says something like, let go of your heart, let go of your head. What is it? Let go of your heart, let go of your head. That's it, yeah. Yeah. So just as we sing it, because, and, and, and I know even that word feel it now, I don't even like it, but, but of course it does work outward. So when you release it, you do actually start to feel it. That's what it means to know peace. You realize the same with acceptance. You, you don't need any more peace. It's impossible to get more peace on the inside of your spirit. You just need to line yourself up to actually experience it by agreeing with the reality of it, by demolishing the dam that stops it flowing. Okay, I want to pray. Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, I want to thank you that we are all full of Jesus. The fullness of Jesus lives on the inside of every one of us who has been awakened to the reality of Jesus. And Father, as we acknowledge that reality, Father, Thank you for the life of it. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Father, we want to say sorry when we have treated you as absent when really you were present all along, Lord. 
We say sorry, Lord. We repent and we thank you for your forgiveness that flows freely towards us. We say sorry as well, Lord, for those times when we mistook inaction for absence, Lord. When we didn't see you doing what we hoped you'd do, Father. Lord, we're sorry. And Father, I thank you for an unfolding and awakening of the truth in each of our hearts, Lord to the reality of the fullness of Jesus in us. An awakening, Lord, that we'd see with our real eyes and realize that it is impossible for you to be absent from our lives because we are a gate of heaven and we are the house of God. And this is an awesome place. It's the home of the divine. Thank you, Jesus, for your presence. May our humanity become increasingly aware of our divinity. In the beautiful name of Jesus.